On today's episode, Noah and I talk with Claudia Putnam, the author of the nonfiction chapbook, Double Negative. Welcome to episode 28 of The Chapbook. I'm your host, Noah Stetzer. And I'm Ross White. Noah and I are the directors and editors at Bull City Press, which publishes chapbooks and occasionally full-length books of poetry, fiction, and nonfiction. We started this podcast to celebrate our love of chapbooks, to go behind the scenes of the publishing process, and to highlight the folks who write chapbooks and the folks who make chapbooks. Our guest today is Claudia Putnam. Now, Claudia is a fiction writer, a nonfiction writer, a poet. There is nothing that she cannot do, as near as we can tell. Her debut poetry collection, which is the award-winning The Land of Stone and River, is just now coming out from Moon City Press. And we've got a whole bio that's going to go into the show notes. But today, we're going to be talking about her winner of the Split Lip Contest. Out March 15th, just recently, from Split Lip Press. It's called Double Negative. And I'm going to jump in here and read a little something from the publisher to give us uh, uh, some context about Double Negative. The publisher writes, The impossibility in Double Negative is the death of an infant, the author's son Jacob, from an immutable heart defect that medicine nonetheless asserts there are options to treat. Three decades after her decision regarding Jacob's fate, Claudia Putnam employs poetry, physics, calculus, scientific research into an hallucinogen, and the structures of the English language to interrogate her experience with grief. It is my great pleasure to welcome Claudia Putnam to the podcast. Hi, Claudia. Thank you very much. I'm so glad to be here. We're really excited to have you here. I want to jump right into this. This this chapbook really affected me. We were speaking before we started recording today about what I see as a, a great generosity on your part to to share the work it appears that you've you've done and continue to do to work through grief. And I likened it to the idea of when we take or when we used to take math tests and they they asked you on the test to show your work. I feel like this is something very much along those lines where where you are allowing us a glimpse into the hard work that a person undertakes to explore their grief. How did you go about first conceiving the idea of this project? And, and how did you go about handling the material? Well, just to back up and respond to your comment about the generosity, I didn't feel like I was being generous. I thought that I was, well, I don't know. It felt to me that I was kind of pushing it out into the world, you know, that I had been carrying this for a long time. And it was like, you're going to hear this version of things, not just about the long grief, but about some of the issues about life and death and what is life and what is death. And I felt that, you know, I needed to really articulate the way I felt about things because I didn't feel like that story was being heard. I think that's a part, a big part of what I mean by the generosity, because I feel the same way that that there is a, sort of a mainline story that is told or that we hear around grief and around life and death, and that the kind of witnessing that's happening in double negative is so valuable to sort of, <laughs> forgive me, come out of the closet with <laughs> with these kind of really difficult concepts that grief can 
can reveal to us. You know, it, it seems there's so much more happening um, when we come face to face with with these um, harrowing moments in our lives. And 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 your willingness to explore all of those aspects, I think, is is incredible in such a in such a tight space. Like, was this always going to be? a chat book or, or did, like, how did it come to be in this particular format? Cause we are called the chat book. And so there is a curiosity about how it ended up in this container. Well, one of my weaknesses, weaknesses is that I tend to write long. So I knew this would be, or, or maybe it's not a weakness, but it's my thing when in terms of getting things published, it can be a problem. And so I knew this would be a very long essay. And I thought that chat books would probably be one of the places where I would find a home for it. I mean, I tried some journals that do take long essays and I always got nice notes, but being someone no one had heard of, they didn't want to give a third of their journal to it. So I also kept submitting to chat books and, and it didn't take very long for Split Lip to find it. And, and it was just, I'd like to say some things about Split Lip eventually. They're just an amazing organization. But coming back to how I conceptualized it, you know, things would come up. This is written over about three decades. Um, not it's, it's covering the time of about three decades. It's probably written over 10 years. So things would come up often on anniversary periods. You know, I have three mm-hmm. days from birth to death of this child. And, you know, those are usually rough days. And so things happen. Other things that were triggers was, were triggered were meeting people who had survived, meeting children who had survived the same condition with either a surgery process or heart transplant or both. And, and so I would think about it. And then more recently, if you watch, you know, Chicago Med or Grey's Anatomy or something, you know, it seems like these, these children come along almost every season and they just have a regular pediatric surgeon doing these surgeries or a regular cardiologist, not even a specialist in pediatric cardiology, just kind of fixing these problems as if, you know, it's no big deal. And from, you know, what I understand in my research, it is still a big deal. So um, I just kind of wanted to talk about, you know, we have this heroic medicine narrative also in our, in our society. And it's heroic to do these kinds of interventions. But I didn't see that when my baby was put into one of those life support machines. And when my baby was on you know, possibly on what I would consider the chopping block for this type of surgery. And I know that there are some people who just feel like you should fight no matter what, but I felt like our struggle would have to be a different kind of, maybe not a fight, a softer word than fight. But, you know, I also feel like this perspective is less, um, especially since the surgery has become more common, it's less expressed out there. And so I wanted to, I continue to want to say, and also to grapple with, am I okay with this now that I've met survivors. And am I okay with the decision we made now that I'm thinking back and seeing other sides of the story? One of the ways in which we see the grappling happening in the book is that the book is constantly in conversation with so many other texts. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's in conversation with Emerson. It's in conversation with Leonard Susskind's The Black Hole War, with Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens, with Randall Jarrell. And I wonder if you would maybe talk a little bit about the way that your literary influences and the things that you were reading during this period found a, a home in your book. I actually wrote an essay on that question at one point. It's an associative process. 
you know, our, our, it's where we live. It's what, it's what we live in. It's what's around us. And we kind of knit things together as they, you know, they come up. We don't know where we get our ideas because it's invisible. You know, there was a science fiction writer who always said Schenectady when somebody asked where, they got, <laughs> where he got his ideas. But, you know, I've always been a big reader, obviously. And I've always read widely. And one of the things I say um, when I've questioned or my friends and I have been questioning what we're doing with this writing business is that this is the only thing that uses all of me. Writing is, you know, everything I've read, everything I've thought about, every experience I've had, everything people try to put into my head, whether I want it or not. It, it uses me in a way I can't imagine any other career or field using me. and. And so all of that stuff was in there. And I, mean, I didn't necessarily pick up the black hole war for insight into my experience with losing my child, but I was curious about it. And these curiosities have led to, you know, further inquiry into my own experience. So that's kind of how that would happen. I mean, wh why they got worked in the where they did was partly, you know, that was that associative kind of thing. I can't explain exactly, <laughs> you know, that was just material that grist for the mill, I guess. But, you know, as I said, I wrote this over a long period and uh, I would write a use scrivener, which I could not have even thought about doing, doing this without it, I don't think. So I would kind of write a, blur, you know, blur, blurt out something, you know, in these three-day periods, usually, sometimes other times of the year. But I would kind of say, you know, this is up for me. I'm going to do something with this. And I would write a section. And so over the years, some of them were very repetitive, but some of them, you know, would incorporate these different influences. Claudia, you mentioned uh, or a little earlier in the episode that you love Split Lip. Tell us a little bit more about what the experience of working with Split Lip has been like. I feel so lucky to have come across them and to have been chosen by them. It was, they have it dialed. So, you know, um, they send you a timeline, everybody hits their deadlines. Um, you know, it is, and I'm not sure, you know, maybe many other presses are like this, but it's not always the case. And, and so, you know, I got, on the horn with the content editor right away that um, David uh, Husky was really amazing with his cover design. I mean, I think he sent five that I would have been really happy with. So at this point in the episode, I'd like to shift over to this new element that we've added this season called the quick round. We've got a couple of quick fire questions for you just to give listeners a little more information coming from your point of view. So question number one, when you get up in the morning, what is critical? Are you a coffee, a tea, or something else that you must have to get started? Well, what's the first thing is feeding the dog <laughs> and letting her out go out. She has to take a bunch. She's epileptic. She has to take a bunch of and a different medicine, some of it with food, some of it without. Doing some breath work, actually. Mm. I read a book called Breath, and now I'm going to forget his name, but it's like been a big seller. Anyway, it changed my life and I, I really try to do breath work every day. And then what I drink is this cacao drink. It's mm. brewed cacao, chocolate, but 
no sweetener. And then I add, I froth up some almond milk and add that. And that's my drink. Number two, which nonfiction writer had the most profound effect on the way you write prose? One of the reasons that's a hard question to answer is that there have been a number of different um, people who've really mattered to me in that genre. You know, Ursula Le Guin. I want to be Ursula Le Guin. Mm -hmm. She does everything, right? She did everything. You know, nonfiction, spec lit, literary lit, poetry, et cetera. So um, several of her books have mattered a lot to me. And Andre Debus, however you're supposed to say it, he really, I mean, talking, speaking of generosity, um, especially broken vessels, really, you know, lets you into some very, very painful things and in a beautiful way. So I'm a huge fan of all of his prose, whether it's fiction or not. This is a book that I really loved, um, Robert McFarlane's Underland, mm -hmm. which does talk about how we, um, how humans have dealt with darkness and death, and you know what kinds of rituals and what kinds of signs of who was here and how we were here. Next question: You mentioned in the podcast episode that you use Scrivener for putting this particular project together. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, are you someone who typically writes electronically or longhand, a combination of both? What's your preference? I write, I draft a lot of my poems um, in my journal. Mm -hmm. So my journal is full of my poems, um, sometimes openings to stories or things. And, um, and you know, other, I rip out um, poems I like from not so much from books, but from journals and things, and I tape them into my my own journal. And so there's a lot of that, and I'll go back through every couple of years. I'll go back through the last couple of journals, and and then I find things that I don't even recognize that you know if it wasn't <laughs> yeah. in my journal with sort of my handwriting, then um, <laughs> I wouldn't believe I ever wrote it. I don't even remember thinking of it. But as far as prose, usually. Um, you know, there might, I, I often write letters to Jacob in the, in those in the anniversary periods. Um, so some of that might become material later, but, but it's, you know, usually I need that organization of typing. And when I start to shape the poems too, I move them to Scrivener. And one of the nice things about Scrivener is it doesn't require, it doesn't automatically capitalize your first line. It doesn't matter if you put five tabs in a line, you know, that kind of thing. It doesn't argue with you the way Word does. So, so I like, I really like drafting poetry in particular in and Scrivener. But when I'm starting to move things around and put them into, you know, some kind of form and see how it looks, then it gets moved in. All right. Question number four, what is one bookstore our listeners need to visit? Oh, well, good luck. Um, it's in Exeter, New Hampshire. I had a writing residency there for a year and uh, Water Street Books. It's not huge, but it's bigger than a lot of them. It has a couple of different rooms and the people there are they know you know what their what their section is and so you can go in and say you know i'm looking for this book and they'll say well it's not out yet but i read this review and you know you'll end up having a conversation about books with the people who work there and in my experience that is a little bit rare that that memorization of your inventory and excitement about the books claudia last question where can listeners find you online they can find me at claudiaputnam.com I'm also on, uh, on Twitter at Claudia Putnam. 
Claudia, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a tremendous chat bug. And listeners, I encourage you, run, don't walk to get a copy of Double Negative from Split Lip Press <laughs> out now. In the meantime, you'll find links in the show notes for today's episode for all of the places that came up in the conversation. While you're going through the show notes and you're on your podcast listening device, be sure to click subscribe to get new episodes to the chat book as soon as they go live. We're on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, and all the other major pod places. You can find out what we're up to by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Bull City Press or visit our website, BullCityPress.com. I'm on Twitter. I'm at DC Noah. I'm at Ross White. And you can email us at chatbook at BullCityPress.com. Thanks for listening, everybody. 